Uh, this morning, we'll have two scripture readings, uh, one from the book of Luke and one from the book of Acts. Luke 24, verses 46 to 53. Jesus told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to, s- to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Acts 1, verses 1 through 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to gather in worship and praise. And we ask, Lord, that you'd uh, bless this time now. Speak to our hearts. Give us what each one of us needs to hear this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a a, uh, church planting network of churches which uh, has a really clever name. It's called Acts 29. Um, I'm not necessarily endorsing because they're kind of crazy about men leadership, but they do have a really clever name, Acts 29. And uh, one of the reasons I, I love the name is because, you know, Book of Acts has 28 chapters. And so by calling themselves Acts 29, they're saying we are continuing that work of the Book of Acts. And, uh, and I think that's right because it says God is continuing to work and we are still carrying out what God's to do. And I think that's how we should be thinking as a church. You know, are we continuing that work of God? Continuing the work of, we're going to go back now, um, this in January, to our series in the book of Acts. And this is now our third swoop into the book of Acts. It's 28 chapters, so you can do a lot of swoops before you finish it. But I actually would, I plan on every year or two returning back to it for a season. 
Because I think the main themes of the book of Acts are absolutely central to your overall vision, our overall vision and mission as a church. Returning to the heart of the book of Acts is something we need to regularly do. So I think it's good for us to be renewed as we go back to the book of Acts. So I hope to do that for, you know, at this rate, we've, we're only up through about the middle of chapter four, having gone through two series already. So 2075 is my goal for uh, the goal year to finish this book. (laughs) But what are these key themes that are so good to go back to? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today is more of an overview of the book of Acts and to renew in our minds what are these big themes uh, that we as a church want to take hold of as, as a whole, you know, in our own vision and mission of what we want to be. So we're going to give just some, so talk initially, just very quick overview of the book of Acts again. Uh, what are these two big themes? And lastly, how, why does that shape and how does it shape what we want to be as a church? So that's what we're talking about today. The overall series, the book of Acts, a church empowered. Um, earlier, Luke just read from the end of the Gospel of Luke. So talking about an overview of it. And by the way, different Lukes. He's not the author of this. Uh, that'd be amazing. Spelled differently, right, Luke? So we're fine. Um, but you see at the end, as, as Luke read, here at, these are the very last verses of the Gospel of Luke. It says, you know, uh, it, this is what was written, Christ will suffer, rise from the dead. Jesus is saying on the third day, repentance and forgiveness of sins will then be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. Right? All that happened in the Gospel of Luke, the story of, of who Jesus is, of his crucifixion, his resurrection, you are now witnesses of these things, and that is going to be now preached. Are, this is happening in Israel. It's going to be preached out from there. And you're going to be witnesses of this to all nations. And then it says, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. So you're not, you're not supposed to go yet. You will be witnesses but this power is going to come on that's then going to enable you to send forth, right? And that's the very end of the Gospel of Luke. And then when you go to the very start of Acts, which you see the connection to what, um, what Luke read, you know, and in 8 it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be what? You will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So you see, it's basically saying the same thing, right? And it's just saying the power on high is the Holy Spirit. So you see that Luke and Acts are these companion novels, right? They are companion stories that come together. Luke wrote them both. And it's not just this ending of Luke and beginning of Acts which tracks these things together. The, each one has a little prologue, which also matches. We may know these things, but just good to be reminded of them. The prologue to Luke, which also gives you a sense of the purpose of Luke, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is right at Luke 1. Just as they were handed down to us by those who, were, who uh, from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So basically, I've done all this research, talked to all these eyewitnesses, and I've written a careful, orderly account so that you may know the certainty of things you've been taught. This is why Luke's often known as a historian, right? He is taking this careful account of it. And you see also he writes to this, um, he says to this person, Theophilus, 
We have no idea who he is. The word means lover of God. Is it someone's name? Is it a benefactor who is wealthy who helps support these writing of it? Is it to speak to all people who are lovers of God? We don't know. Probably an individual. Not important, I don't think. But what is important is that you see the same thing in the book of Acts, right? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit. And so you see that he's writing these two books. By the way, if they were written on papyruses, the Gospel of Luke and Acts would be almost the exact same length as well. You can almost see the two little scrolls going thunk right in front of you. The first one being all the story about you know, uh, the life of Jesus, what he did up until his crucifixion, his resurrection... And in the next book, now through the, you know, through the apostles as their witnesses, how they went out into uh, Judea and how the gospel went out into the world. Right? This is really the, the story of the book of Acts is. You know, how they became witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts, you know, the first half generally follows this story through Peter. And the second part generally follows it through Paul. Generally, the method of teaching is um, oftentimes through speeches. And this was a common way you'd record, you know, um, record things uh, in the ancient world. You'd, you, and, and, this, and, and the important thing for us that we get confused with is that the speeches, speeches recorded aren't necessarily verbatim or intended to be understood as verbatim. They're intended to give you a sense of here's what was said and here's what he was teaching. Like, for instance, and the same thing's in the Gospel of Luke, right? Jesus oftentimes, he, it just gives one verse of something he said, right? Or two verses. Do you get the idea that Jesus' ministry was sneaking in there and saying some little mysterious, you know, quip, and then coming out and gone? Is this what he was like, you know, this mysterious man of little quips? No. You know, they, they, they're representative, Right? You know, it was a way in which you communicate what they taught. And therefore, also, it doesn't matter a whole lot when the Gospels are a little different with the representation they decide to choose. You know, they're, you know, they would speak for hours, but what we have is this thing that's read in a relative number of minutes. But it's supposed to be the idea that you get a sense of what that was through this. Now, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to diminish the Word of God. This is how God chose to let His Word the living and active word of God, holy authoritative, this is what he did, but this is how it was done. It's a written revelation. But anyway, that's an important thing to catch in Acts, that it's mostly through these sermons and lots of speeches throughout it. So there's two, um, as we get to the big stories and themes, right, the, the first big theme is this idea of the spread of the gospel, right? How it went from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the utter ends of the world, but it's not just the story of what it did. It's, it's a what happened and what were the challenges and what were the questions that were raised and how were those met, which is really critical for us to know and understand. So that's the first big theme, which is critical for us as well. And, so, and, he, and within that you see, so what do we see happen when the preaching went forth? The power came from on high in Acts 2. The proclamation of this good news, right, of which they're witnesses, goes forth, and what happens? Thousands of people receive it, right? The word goes forth with power, and people receive it all over the place, 3,000 people, and then you see this community forming in Acts chapter 2, and then you see people added day by day, more and more and more people. They keep hearing, it keeps being proclaimed, and people keep responding, and the community keeps growing. 
So it's incredible reception, right? But then what you also see then is immediate opposition. Opposition and persecution, right? You know, people, they, and, and they are taken before the courts. They are arrested. They are martyred. There are people in authority opposing them. This is what happens. And then you have their response to this opposition. And generally what their response to the opposition is, is praising God they're suffering for his name. That they see themselves walking in the uh, pathway of Jesus. As Jesus suffered and was opposed and persecuted, so it's happening to us. So it was foretold throughout the scriptures. It's happening just as it was said, that, the, that people would oppose God's word is what you always see. That people would reject it is what you've always seen. So you see this pattern kind of throughout the book of Acts again. again incredible receptivity, opposition, and their praise. And the gospel actually gets magnified through the opposition. That's actually, it's, it's through the opposition that the word gets proclaimed in these new places. It goes spreading around. It comes before Festus and Agrippa and the people of authority and through the very uh, power authorities of Jerusalem, ultimately to Rome. And Paul becomes the ultimate symbol of this, right? Paul, who is the greatest oppressor of the church and the greatest opposer of the church, then becomes its greatest witness. And we see how he turns. And he's the, the instrument of God to take the gospel into the Roman Empire. Right? So you see this theme again and again throughout it. How this gospel went forth. A second big storyline within how the gospel went forth, a big question, right? So you see the reception, the, the opposition, the magnification through that, is, is how did the gospel go forth from this Jewish context out to the nations? That may seem simple for us today because we see the gospel out in all the nations, but that was no simple matter. It was all Jewish people. And where did the, where did the early community meet? In the temple, you know, they saw it completely, and, you know, this is a continuity, and, and it's just for Jewish people. That's what they kind of understood it. You know, in the old days, people want to convert and become Jewish. Okay, but that's, how it, this is, that's, that's what's going on now. And much of the book of Acts early on was trying to say, how do we deal with this issue? If you remember, um, dramatic, dramatically, Peter has to receive a vision from God, uh, a blanket coming down that basically says, you can go in, into an unclean house, essentially. And at the same time, Cornelius, the centurion, the Gentile, has a vision from him saying, go get Peter. And then Peter goes into his house because of his vision. He thinks it's okay. And Cornelius has gathered all these people, and he preaches the gospel, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And all the people go, whoa, that's incredible. It, it, they're not Jewish. And it's so shocking in the book of Acts that they basically spend the whole next chapter retelling the same thing that happened. It's a very strange thing, right? It's almost the same story back to back, and it tells you this is absolutely amazing. And the shocking thing they realize at the end, which I love, it says, wow, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Who would have thought? That just seems nuts to me. You know, but I'm happy for y'all. You know, um, that's great. You know, if you accept that, you know, fine. But you raise that was the major. It was so shocking, right? And and what do they, what do we even do if they're not going to become Jewish? What do they have to do? And they had a whole big church council in Acts 15 trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles for Jesus. You know, what's required of them? What's needed? 
You know, it was like, what a ministry it must have been, you know, back then. Now, I joke, as you guys know, you know, I was with Jews for Jesus for years. And everyone thought, that's crazy. That's an oxymoron. That's impossible. And you're thinking, that was not the issue. I remember when I was in uh, D.C., um, uh, a lady, uh, she became a believer in Jesus, and her boyfriend was Jewish. And she, wanted to, she said, you know, can you please meet with my boyfriend and talk to him? So I met with Bruce, was his name. And uh, Bruce was obviously, in our conversation, far more interested in Linda than he was in Jesus. <laughs> and that's why he met with me. You know, it's like, at least that was my assumption at the time. And, uh, and so, you know, we talked, whatever, and I thought, well, that's the last time I'll see Bruce. And uh, I don't remember how long it was. Maybe my wife does, but it must have been a, a couple months or something. He suddenly calls, calls me up. I don't even know how he, I got my number. My, and they said, you know, let, can I meet? Can I meet soon? I said, okay. So we sit down over coffee, and he's got a yellow pad with three pages of questions. And I actually have no idea what actually happened or what, I don't understand why God, how God does what he does in people. And it may have been also, and I think probably in case that I misread it at the start, I assumed he wasn't interested at all because I didn't hear, who knows, I, I never, never doubt how little you know what's actually going on in somebody else. It's <laughs> just a good, good way to be. And so we would go over question and question. We met for, you know, once a week for weeks and stuff. But the question kept circling back again and again, but I'm Jewish. And Jews, people can't believe in Jesus. And, and one thing he did with all, a lot of his objections was, you know, he thought that people believed things or the Bible said certain things. I'm like, why don't you just go back and read what it says? Stop assuming, you know, what you, what you read on the, on the Internet or what you heard someone say. Why don't you read for yourself? So he's picking up the Gospels and actually reading it and reading the book of Acts. And one day he comes to this, this section of Acts we're talking about and he, he, he calls me up so excited as if he's made this incredible discovery. The, the controversy, they didn't, think any, they didn't think Gentiles could believe in Jesus. They thought it was only for Jewish people. And he was like so shocked by this very section of the book of Acts. And then it, that really realized, wow, it's okay that I do. You know, and it keeps on going, but I mean, it was an amazing story. But really what they see at that point, and the important truth about the gospel for us especially, is that the gospel is intrinsically culture-free. Right? It, it is not, it's not part of a little churchy culture thing you grew up in or a Jewish culture or another culture. It, the gospel flies into cultures and blows up. like It's almost like a balloon, right? It comes up in a new shape in every culture and time it comes into. But we always have the tendency to think of our culture as the gospel. Right? They thought of Jewish culture as the things of it. And we do a lot you know, growing up in church. You know, it's, it's weird for me even coming into church because you feel all this culture stuff. And sometimes we get confused. What's culture and what's the gospel? So that's a really important lesson for us to recover yeah, as well. So that's, that's the first sort of major story. The spread of the gospel, the challenges and the questions that were raised, the need for it to go forth. The second big theme that comes up a lot and it's really the story of, the, of Acts, is the Holy Spirit, right? Um, you know, the Gospel of Luke, the, the term Holy Spirit comes 13 times. In the book of Acts, it's 42. And of the 13, most of that is in chapters 1 and 2 in the birth narratives, in some sense, pre-Jesus' ministry. So basically you have a little pre-Holy Spirit mentioned pre-Jesus ministry only four or five times in the entire 
Gospel of Luke in terms of the ministry of Jesus, and then a whole bunch after, 42 times after. So really, the Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus. The book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit. So what's going? what's the connection there? Well, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' continuing work through the Holy Spirit. You see, it's still, Jesus is still at work, but now he's working through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, through us. Jesus is here, but he's not. And, and, and the Gospel of John, remember, said this was a good thing, right? It's not just, here, I'm localized, I'm one little person, I'm interacting with this. When I ascend and the Holy Spirit descends, now essentially I am everywhere through the Spirit of God. This is part of the Trinity, right? They're, they're separate, they're one. We're not going into the Trinity again right now. But, uh, but the Holy Spirit is, you know, basically is it, in the language equivalent of God throughout the Acts and equivalent with Jesus. And so what you see then in the book of Acts was, like in Gospel of Luke, Jesus is the one preaching, healing, being persecuted. And then you see the same thing happening in the book of Acts to the apostles, right? Where Jesus was preaching, now you hear immediately the Holy Spirit's given, Peter stands up and gives a sermon. You know, much the way you'd see Jesus give a sermon in the Gospels. You see um, a, per, a man healed in Acts chapter 3 in the same way Jesus was doing healing in the Gospels. You see the persecution happening to them in the same way Jesus received persecution, was ultimately crucified and resurrected. So now you see the ministry of Jesus now being carried out through the apostles who are the witnesses and ultimately through everyone who holds the Holy, has the Holy Spirit. And this is this key idea of, of the story of the book of Acts that's important that we embrace now. The Holy Spirit is the power and presence of God. He's the way by which God works in us. Right? Jesus is in us. Jesus is present in us in all places through the Holy Spirit. That Jesus does his work, his preaching, his proclaiming, his healing, right? through us, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and that's the critical thing, is that without that as well, you aren't even supposed to be doing the work, right? It said, um, repentance and forgiveness and sins will be preached in all in his name, to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. So basically, you can't do this. Even though you saw this and you can bear witness of it, you will not be able to accomplish your task that I'm sending you for without this power. Without the Holy Spirit coming upon you, you can't do it. Because it's Jesus who's actually doing it, not you. That's the really important piece of this. Now, do you see why this is so critical for us as a church? This is all, this is today. I mean, we, may, we need to be renewed, you know, regularly that we are called to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, right? That we are called to spread the news of the gospel, to, be, to do his works in the world. And we need to be reminded again and again that we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. Because oftentimes you can walk away with this idea that, wow, God has all these things he wants me to do, right? I'm supposed to become holy. I'm supposed to be a good... I love love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self... You know, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. People don't see it as fruit of the Holy Spirit. They see it as a to-do list, right? It's not a to-do list. It doesn't say punch these things out. It says, basically, this should be the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you. 
right? That should, this is what should proceed from you. When the Holy Spirit, is, you know, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, this is what should proceed from you. Instead, we look at it as this big to-do list, right? I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. I'm supposed to make them you know, believers. I'm supposed to do it. I'm supposed to, that, is like, that is a harsh way to live your life. It's like it's the, the life of the guilt trip. I am not being what God wants me to be. As opposed to saying, no, you are his hands and feet. And don't even try to do it until you're empowered from on high. You know? And then God can work through you. Right? This, is, this is what our vision of church is. Right? We're a, a vibrant community being changed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, boldly following God into the world. Right? You know, that we, empowered by it to go and do it. And again and again throughout the book of Acts, it talks about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We could talk a lot about it, and I don't want to get into all the hardcore theology on it, but a very basic thing of what that means. I love the analogy in the letter to the Ephesians. He actually makes an analogy between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being drunk. Not that it's a similar thing, but in the sense that drinking does it. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery? How do you pronounce that word? Debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see what the analogy is making? You drink wine. You become drunk. The fruit of that is (laughs) debauchery. Rather, be filled. You know, he says you fill yourself now with um, singing, making music, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks to the Lord. You become filled with the Holy Spirit, and out comes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So be filled with these things. You know, this is so in the same way you're drinking wine and becoming drunk, you you sense drink the things of God. Spiritual songs, psalms, hymns, singing, making music in your heart to the Lord, singing praise to Him, giving thanks to Him. And you become filled, and the Lord then works through you. So this is, you know, and when we think about our mission as a church, a lot of it is about this, right? It's about being filled and going forth. You know, we want people to be actively engaging with God and his word, fostering a caring community of disciples, you know, a place where you are fed and encouraged and strengthened. And you come in here, we should be singing songs of praise and worship to God, hearing as we're being filled with these truths, giving thanks to him. So we go forth and we can be God's hands in the world, healing people in our hurting world, inviting people to follow with us, and knowing that it's God who works through you. There's an incredible, um, it's, it's, it's an incredible joy, but doesn't have the fruit of pride. Actually, when you accomplish a bunch of stuff, the fruit is actually pride. When God works through you and does amazing things, the fruit is praise to God and thankfulness and amazement. It's, it's interesting, Nikki had mentioned that, uh, what a great Christmas it was. One of the reasons it was such a great Christmas for us is, you know, um, I don't want to be in detail, but we had, we had, there was someone here who was the Christmas Eve service who's not a part of our church. And, you know, she'd been far from, far from Jesus. And we're kind of amazed she was willing to come along. And she was so impacted by that, by a community, by the people she met. And we actually, on Christmas, on New Year's Eve, she basically said, you know, I believe in Jesus now. And this is why, you know, I've been part of that. And we were just, like, so stunned by it. And I, I even heard, like, using language from my sermon or something you know, on the 28th or on the on Christmas Eve and thinking, and I know myself going, I don't know what I'm saying half the time. You know, I just, you know, you try to do what's best. You pray and go, Lord, mercy, you know. 
And, and then when, someone, when God actually used to change somebody's life, you think, wow, that's what this is. We're called to, to proclaim this, and God is actually empowering it, working it, and touching their heart and doing a work inside of them. That's what, this is what we're, a church is about. That's what we're about, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting God then use us to heal people, to help people, you know, um, to be that Jesus is actually now doing his ministry through us, that we proclaim his words, but they're his words, right? And that's what he sent us to do, because now it's not just one person proclaiming in one place that Jesus is actually simultaneously everywhere. And his words and his healing is being done in all nations, in all, in all lands. So when we think about this table even here as we come to communion, what role does this play in it? You know, in many ways, this is a refilling station. You know, we come to this table, and it's a table of renewal, right? It's a table to um, be renewed with who he is, what he's done for us. We come in our weakness. We come, again, realizing that we haven't lived as we should. We've been filling ourselves with things other, you know, we've been, we've been taking inputs which aren't going to lead us to being filled with the Holy Spirit, but being drunk with whatever it is we're filling ourselves with and saying, Lord, I want to confess. I want to renew myself, and I want to come to you. And this is a point where he says, be renewed in your sense of forgiveness. Be renewed in your um, communion with me. And then this table is about sending you forth back into the world. And so let's take a moment now to prepare our hearts for this, Lord, that the Lord knows where we're at. He knows who we are. Let's start this new year saying, Lord, I want to be filled with you. I want you to use me as your vessel in this world everywhere I am. So uh, confess your, your desires. You need to confess where you fall short of that. Put the last year behind you and start afresh. So let's go in quiet before him.